According to 93.3, we are there, man. <laughs> Halloween is over, Christmas is upon us. Hey, if you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew 25. Uh, and it's going to be on the screen as well, but uh, it's good to get in the habit of reading the Scripture on your Bible app or in your Scripture. Um, we're starting a new series today called More, and we're going to talk about stewardship over the next uh, few weeks. But in Matthew 25, this is a part of the Bible where Jesus gives us three parables, and these parables are all about uh, the second coming of Christ. They're all about how we live our lives now in light of the urgency of the second coming of Christ. And the first parable, the first story that he tells is about a bride or about ten brides and a bride, uh, their bridegroom. And uh, basically the Bible says there are five that are ready for his coming. Five, though, that run off at the last second to get additional supplies. And the, the bridegroom comes unexpectedly. The five are invited into a banquet hall. The doors are shut and locked. The other five show up. And now they're locked out, and uh, they're, they're not ready. That's the message of the parable. You need to be ready for whenever the bridegroom, Christ, returns for his church. The last parable in the Matthew 25 is all about Jesus separating the sheep from the goats. And this is a very popular, famous passage of Scripture. And it's the one where Jesus says, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And it's all about caring for those who are less fortunate. And so, in other words, he's telling stories that remind us, hey, in light of the second coming of Christ, in light of the urgency of this, you need to live your life accordingly. Sandwiched in the middle of those two stories is another story that Jesus tells called the parable of the talents. And I want to give you the parable today, and then I'm going to give you some application at the end. And again, we are starting this series called More, and today we're going to talk about more investment. God has entrusted you and I to manage his resources. Listen to Matthew 25, verse 14. It says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Now here's principle number one. You and I do not own anything. Everything belongs to God. So Jesus tells this story about a master who's going off into a different place. We don't know where he's going. We don't know how long he has gone. But in a nutshell, he, ha he gives over his resources. There's some debate in the theological world about how much money this was, but it was a sizable amount of money for the day. And he gives uh, one individual one talent of money, a, a talent of gold or silver. To another, he gives two, two, and to another, he gives five. And one of the things I want to say right up front is that it doesn't appear that God is really a socialist in this passage. He's, he's not really fair. You know, I mean, like if we were writing this, we might go, hey, let's just give them all three. Let's give them all three, right? Because that just seems right. But instead he gives one, five, one, two, and one, one, and I don't know why. Maybe the guy with five comes in. He's looking like a business suit. He's looking good. God's like, yeah, that's good. That guy, he looks trustworthy. Let's give him that. And the two-town guy's like, ah, he's pretty mediocre, but I'll give him a couple. Let's see if he can handle that. Then the one with one, he like gets to the meeting late. You know, He's got holes in his jeans. I don't know. He shows up like, whatever, God. Guy like, all right, here you go. Here's the, here's the talent. Go. Good luck with it. I, I don't know. It's probably not accurate theology, but it, here you go. All right. Just shows up, and, and he says, I'm going to give one five, one two, and one one. We don't know why, but ultimately God is the judge. He's in charge. He gets to decide who gets what. Now, imagine, if I asked you today, if I said, just on a piece of paper right now on your notes, would you just write the main things that you own in your life? 
Would you do that? Just write down your house. What is it? Your house, your car. What do you own in your life? Your clothes, your, uh, some hobby, some toy thing that you own. What, what is it that you own? Some CDs, some stock. Write it all down. And if, what if I ask you the question, do you really own it? Do you really own it? Think about that. Uh, my, my wife drives a uh, Chevy Traverse. And uh, you know who owns that Traverse? Midwest Credit Union. That's who owns that. Even though, even though my, our name is on the title, that title is somewhere else. And the moment that I stop paying payments, that thing is going back to the owner. It, it, it doesn't really belong to us. My house, you know, that's owned by Union Savings Bank. That's who owns my house right now. And, and one of these days, maybe I'll pay that off. But here's the thing. Even if we pay off that car and the title is in our name, or even if we pay off our house and now we not only have the deed, but the mortgage is all gone, even if that happens, guess what? You still don't own it. You say, well, why not? Because it's very clear in the scripture that God owns everything. Listen to what the psalmist writes in Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it belong to him. Everything that you think you own, everything that you see belongs to God. God is the one who holds title to it. Now, he's given us the opportunity to to choose, make decisions, to manage it well or to manage it poorly. He's given us some control. He's given us the opportunity to make decisions, but he has appointed you as a steward. But ultimately, God is the owner. God has entrusted his property, but he's placed us as stewards over that. And so one of the things I want to do is raise your vision a little bit. I want to raise your awareness a little bit. But when it, because when it comes to this topic of stewardship, so many times we think in terms of we own it, and now we're going to give to God a little bit of my time, talent, or ability. And what I'm trying to say is the scripture is very clear. You don't own any of it. God owns it. And so when we're giving it back, We're simply giving it back to the one who owns everything. We even do this when it comes to talking about giving in the church. Um, When we talk about giving, we talk oftentimes about a tithe. A tithe was an Old Testament concept that basically taught that the first part of your crop, the first part of your, um, your, your produce, the first part of your livestock, or your income, the first 10% went back to the Lord. It was a tithe. It was 10% back to the Lord. And what has happened is sometimes we'll say to our children or when we talk about a tithe, we'll say, you need to give back the portion that belongs to God, the portion that belongs to God. I'll give you an illustration. I happen to bring a $50 bill to church today. Right here it is. It's not really that crisp because it was folded up in my wallet. Now, there it is. Now, if I say this is a $50 bill, now what part of this belongs to God? I would say it's a tithe, and a tithe would be how much? Five bucks, all right? So we'd say that five bucks belongs to the Lord. And and even to our children, we teach them tithing. We say, listen, when you get your allowance, let's say your allowance is 20 bucks this week, $2 goes to the Lord because that belongs to the Lord. But what we have done is we have placed emphasis on the giving back, which is good to do, but we have neglected this phrase that it's not just the five bucks that belongs to the Lord. It's what? It's all of it. Everything belongs to the Lord. And so we have to raise our mentality here a little bit because we have to think in terms of, God, you're the owner. I'm just a manager. Ultimately, everything belongs to you. And one of the reasons we give back to God is because it reminds us that everything belongs to God. It reminds us to be diligent in giving 
back to him. Not because God needs our money, but because we are acknowledging that God is the owner of all things. Now that concept is called stewardship. Stewardship is about managing my life. Stewardship is about discovering that God has entrusted his, some of his property, his resources, or what have you, to uh, us. Stewardship is a life principle. So the question is, what are you doing with the days that you have? What am I doing with my abilities? What am I doing with the resources that God has given me? What am I doing with the expenses that I have? What am I doing with my talents and abilities? What am I doing with the opportunities? What am I doing with the life, the one and only life that God has given me? That's principle one. God owns everything. Principle two, we are accountable for how wisely we use God's resources. Look at 16. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Two of them were wise investors. The one with five gained five more, the one with two gained two more, and the one with one went in his backyard, dug a hole, and buried it, thinking that that would keep it safe. Nobody would steal it then. Seems reasonable. We relate to that one talent guy, don't we? We like to play it a bit safe when it comes to our, in particular, our finances. Uh, We don't want to risk too much. We hold on for a rainy day. We think if we're just careful, then at the end of the day, it'll be bet we'll be better for it. But verse 19 and following tells us the master does come back and to the five talent guy and the ten talent who now has ten and to the two talent guy who now has four, he, he gives them praise. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. In other words, I gave you my resources and now you've doubled them and now I see that you are trustworthy and you are appreciative and you've now given them back. When I was a kid, I distinctly remember sitting at my mother's sewing machine. And she, you know what she did? It was Christmas time. She gave me money. She said, Stephen, I want to give you money so that you can do what? So that you can give to your family members, your dad and myself and your other siblings. You can give Christmas presents to them. And I want you to go out and shop for them. And I'll take you. We'll go shopping. Now, think about that for just a second. Did anybody else's parents do that for you? They gave you money to give them gifts. And that's, that's the process. So I'm going to give you some money. That way you can go get gifts. So you go out and you buy the gifts. You figure out what everybody wants. You, you go down through the list. You buy a gift even for mom and dad whose money you are using to buy their gifts. Now, at the end of Christmas, and when she opens up this gift, it's like, oh, my goodness, this is the greatest gift ever. I mean, wow, thank you so much. Kiss, 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 hug, hug, hug. Really so much appreciated. But is my mother in any better financial standing after Christmas than she was before Christmas? No. The answer is no. Is she any any better in terms of what she owns before Christmas as opposed to after Christmas? No. It was her money. But she was so appreciative of the fact that I guess I could have gone out and bought things for myself and said, forget this old family, right? I could have done that. But instead, she gave, and I gave back what she had already given me, and she was so appreciative. Why? Because she knew, hey, I can trust. This is so great. She wanted to honor that gift. And she was like, you know, after Christmas, I'll never forget. She was like, well done, good and faithful Stephen. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. She didn't say that. She didn't say that. She didn't say that. Now I'll put you in charge of many things. No, she didn't say that. But, but here's the deal. When you give back to God, you're saying this is God's resource 
But we're not giving back to God because he needs that. We're giving back to God because we're acknowledging, God, if I don't give this back, then I become more inward focused, more selfish, more about me. But when I give back, it's being used for your glory, and it's reminding me that I don't own it anyway. Does that make sense to everybody? But then the one talent man buried his talent, and the owner called him a wicked, lazy servant. That's pretty harsh. But we're not that different from the one talent man. I mean, in fact, if I look back at the last seven days, not all of my moments, not all of my abilities, not all of my opportunities, not all of what God has given me, whether it be financially or whatever, has been used in the best interest of the owner. Sometimes we make decisions that are in our best interest, we think. Someday, Jesus said we'll be held accountable for what we have done. And I think there are three reasons why this one talent man decided to hold back. The first was, and we do this, we fail when we play it safe. Verse 25 says, he went out and buried the talent in the ground. He, he said, I know you're a, a, a harsh master, and, and I'm just going to bury this talent in the ground. And when he comes back, and the other two are given praise, and they immediately show up with their greater investment, this guy goes, oh shoot, I didn't expect this guy to come back already and he goes out in the backyard with a shovel or a metal detector or whatever and he's just looking around where did I put that digs it up blows the dirt off of it runs it over to the master and says here you go I did a good job with this I took care of it for you he just played it safe and many of of us have an idea that a good steward just plays it safe they use words like this I'm just gonna wait Maybe you said this word, I'm going to wait for the right opportunity, the right time, the right investment. I'll wait until there's no chance for failure. I'll write until, wait until it's a sure thing. I'll wait to serve until the need becomes obvious or until my children move on. Or I'll wait to give until maybe God gives me some kind of promotion. But then the owner shows up and um, the man who is the one talent man tries to make an excuse he tries to think it was good, but, but I wonder when God comes back, how we'll respond when he says, I've gifted you, I've given you moments, I've given you resources, I've given you time, I've given you talents and abilities and treasures, and now you have opportunity. What did you do with the life that I gave you? The second reason we fail as stewards is because we've adopted an attitude which says easier is better. Verse 26, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. He was called lazy. He, he lacked ambition. He did not make an effort. He, he was content to just kind of go through life. He didn't use the resources at all. He just buried it. Let somebody else do it. And that happens even in churches where people look around and they say, I, I'll, I'll just serve very little or give very little. Or they think there's a lot of people here. Sure, they have everything they need. It's got to be covered. I'm sure that it is. But the problem is that they forget that God doesn't need your resources. What he looks for is your heart. He's looking for how will you manage? How will you give back to him? How will you serve him? And so instead of saying, maybe when life gets easier, I'll be able to do more, serve more, give more. Instead, we should say, how can we do that now? And I think a third reason that he struggled was just fear. He was afraid. The Bible says, the man said, I was afraid. And so I buried this talent. Fear has stopped people from doing a lot of good things. It has stopped you from becoming or doing what you should or, or, or acting in a certain way. Fear can be a powerful force in your life. But what could God do through you if you were not afraid? If you weren't anxious about things all the time, what would God do with your life or your abilities or your resources if you said, God, I just want to trust you more? 
Look again what he said in verse 23 to the five and the two talent men. He said, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come share in your master's happiness. Here's an amazing twist in this story. And it leads to principle three, which is the more you invest, the more you will be blessed. The more you invest, the more you'll be blessed. Verse 18 says, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have in abundance. This week I was working on the message. I was calling Josh, like, Josh, i got to tell you something. I said, i got a phrase for you. He's like, how's your sermon going? I said, it's going all right. I said, I only got one phrase, one sentence, one phrase. He's like, you only got one sentence? I was like, yeah, one sentence. That's it. That's all I've got so far. Well, the more you invest, the more you will be blessed. He was like, come on now. Glory, hallelujah, come on now. I said, the more you are blessed, the more, the more you invest, the more you're blessed. More investing, more blessing. He was like, woo, that'll preach, man, that will preach. And you know what? The truth is it does because it's in the Scripture. Thank you. <laughs> you all need to sit in first service sometime because we got about four people who just go, mm-hmm, come on, come on. They don't have to work at it. It just happens, you know what I'm saying? Luke 6, 38. Not that you're working at it. I actually appreciate that. It says, give and you, it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over. will be poured into your lap for the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. It's a principle in the Bible that says the more you invest, the more you'll be blessed. The more that you show that you are trustworthy, the more that God trusts you. Listen to this verse in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's a principle in the Bible. The more that you demonstrate you are trustworthy, the more that God trusts us. Because he says, it's all mine anyway. I'm just asking, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Because we've been given a trust that someday we're going to be evaluated as trustees. And that God will look at us as stewards. And he will say, how did you deal with the stuff that I gave you? The five-talent man, the two-talent man, they, they receive a blessing from the master. In fact, the five-talent man received the one-talent man, man's talent because God said that individual is going to do something greater with what I gave him. Now, I want to give you the application. Why did Jesus tell this story, especially in light of the second coming of Jesus? And I'm going to give you three words to think about. And the first word is productivity. Productivity. All through the scripture, it's very clear that God expects us to be productive with what he has given us. That when he has given you something, he expects you to be productive with it. Not to hoard it, not to hold on, not to, not to say, hey, I didn't look, look, I didn't mess up, I didn't blow it, I didn't fail. But not doing anything is indeed that failure. He's coming back and saying, what did you do with the one only life that I've given you? How are your resources being invested? Stewardship is about your life, your time, your talent, your individual uh, capacity, your money. How are you using that productivity? The second word is generosity. All through the scripture, we see Jesus in the New Testament teach on this principle of generosity. We live our lives with a mindset of giving back. We live our, our, our lives with an open-handed mentality because when you realize that God owns it all, that if God will trust you more as you trust Him more, then you live more open-handedly. We live our lives with a willingness to contribute. And it comes from the heart of a God who is very, in His very nature was a giver. And He said, for God so loved the world that He gave. And another theme that I see in the teaching of Jesus is very clear. Not just productivity, not just 
generosity, but eternity. That's why these three stories in Matthew 25 are so compelling, because he's talking about the second coming of Christ, and he's talking about thinking in terms of eternity. Everything that we do is to be done with the thought of eternity in mind, because what matters at the end of this life is not how much that we have accumulated, but how much we have invested in the next life. Matthew 6, 19 and 20 says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So I told you maybe a month ago that we went through all of um, Sherry's things. My mom in particular went through my sister's items that she had owned. And there were so many things there. And we had an estate sale. Mom, so let's have an estate sale. And let's give that money to the scholarship fund, the worship ministry scholarship fund that we established in her name. And uh, she said, this would be great. And, and we had that sale, and Mom did a good job. And there were other people in our family who helped to kind of go through and price things. And, and uh, people are coming into the house. You know how estate sales go. And, and people are going through. And, and, and honestly, there were just a whole lot of trinkets there. If you had gone to the estate sale, maybe it would have been meaningful because there were a lot of things, a lot of very interesting things. I gave David Sloan because he, he loves Sherry, and he's also a bit of a Star Trek, Star Wars kind of nerdy guy. You know what I mean? And I gave him this, uh, just kidding, I gave him this, uh, I gave him this, uh, I mean, look, he wore a Star Wars outfit last week. All right, so for our, our thing, but I gave him the, uh, she had these um, Starship Enterprise blueprints. I was like, David. You're going to love this. He's like, what is it? I'm like, it's a Starship Enterprise Blueprints. He's like, wow, I mean, that's awesome. There's stuff like that, you know, stuff like, where did she buy the Starship Enterprise Blueprints? We have no idea. I don't know. There was a lot of Christmas items because our family loved Christmas, and, and, um, and so there were a lot of trinkets that were Christmas-related. I told mom while people were coming through, I said, what do you think Sherry would think about this? She would say, oh, my goodness. She would say, I can't believe how cheap you guys are selling my stuff for. Like, like I would be like, hey, it needs to be this price. And Jonathan would go with, like, a pail of stuff, drop it down. The lady would be like, I'll give you two bucks for it. He's like, sold, you know, out the door or whatever. And he's like, it's great. But I, uh, I collected a few things, not, not too much, um, from her house. And I brought some of those things with me today. Um, so I told you she loved Christmas, and so she had all kinds of CDs. And so I saved these Christmas CDs so we can play them at Christmas time this year. Um, my kids aren't here, so I can tell you this. I, I brought several ornaments, Christmas ornaments, for our kids. And I thought they would enjoy that for Christmas, having Christmas ornaments from Sherry. And uh, so they'll receive that at Christmas time this year. Um, I got this little grand piano. It's Precious Moments with a little kitty on the top. It's actually a music box. We wind it up. The cat twirls around, dances on the top. I, I don't know. This reminded me of Sherry, so I thought that would be nice to have. And, and then I have a doll here. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but she had a doll collection that mom gave her dolls over the years. But I got this doll because I didn't want it to be sold for like 50 cents or whatever, but I thought it looked like Sherry, you know, her glasses and everything. So um, she didn't have hair that long, but I thought that looked a lot like her, so I, I got that. Now, one of the things that uh, mom said as we were going through Sherry's things, and I may have told you this a couple weeks ago, but one of the things that she said is, you know, with all the stuff after dad died and after Sherry died, you look at the things that they accumulated over the years, and it's difficult to go through those things because those were things that mattered to the individual that we loved, and so that, that's important. But when you look at all of it, she said, I'm reminded once again that all this, all this that we spend on stuff, 
all this that we spend on things that we accumulate. And yet, at the end of their life, they can't take anything with them. And same thing with you, by the way. There's going to be an estate sale with your name on it one of these days. And people are going to go through your things and sell them for much less than what you paid for them. And at the end of the day, we have to ask, for what cause? For what purpose? I mean, we gather so many items, so many things, and we're going to stand before God one day empty-handed, except for what we sent ahead. That's why the Bible says that we need to invest in something eternally, that we need to use our resources so that we can send people ahead of us so that, or, or behind us, those who have loved God because we love God, children that have been served in this church because you gave, time that you gave to an individual at work that maybe wouldn't have been given by somebody else, a relationship or a bridge that you built so that now that they're in eternity, caring for somebody less fortunate than you are. How are you using your time, your talents, and your resources in kingdom investments? Because when you stand before the Lord, we will stand empty-handed. All of the things that we've collected throughout this life will be but rubbish. But the things that we sent ahead, where moth and rust do not destroy them, thieves do not break and steal, that's what will matter the most. So this series, the series called More, we're talking about more investment. We're talking about more sacrifice. And we're talking about ultimately more impact. How can we have a greater impact with the one and only life that God has given us? God, we thank you today. And we praise you for using us, for trusting us. And God, I pray that we would realize during this time of year, how important it is while we're thinking about um, end of year and we're thinking about Christmas and we're thinking about gifts that we give to other people and, and all these things, God, help us to be reminded that what's most important is what's done for eternity. Help us to be reminded, God, that one day we will all walk from this life to the other and we will walk empty-handed, God, before you. And yet we know that also we have an opportunity to send ahead the things that we have invested in that were kingdom things. So God, help us to be reminded of that today and help us to not hold on tightly to the things that we have. Instead, help us to make wise investments. And God, thank you that the more that we invest, the more that you bless us. And the more that through us, you bless others. We pray this in Jesus' name.